Let's take our Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. If you notice this morning, our violin was not playing today because Greg and Ian had their baby this morning. Four, I think, 4 a.m. this morning. Of course, no details because I don't think they, have, they decided on a name yet. Don't let them know, don't let them know that I told you that. But anyway, let's uh, keep them in prayer, though. They're, they are in the hospital down where they live. All right, let's look at our, our Bibles this morning. We're looking at the honor roll of faith, and today I'm coming to Abraham. I've mentioned already, and I, I want to stress this, that faith is trust in the unseen, not in the unknown. That's very important to get because biblical faith is a faith that is absolutely certain. That's what the biblical faith is. It's absolutely certain that what it believes is true and what it expects expects will come to pass. And the reason for that, it's because what we believe is based on objective historical truth and it it is founded in the very character of God who cannot lie and will not lie to us. And so that's where faith gets its essence from, its very meaning from. So biblical faith is grounded in what we can't see, but what we know is true. And the faith that lays hold of what is promised and therefore hoped for is really real. It's, it's solid. You can die with this faith knowing that even though you have not seen completely everything God is doing, and you know that his promises will be true. So these Old Testament examples before us lived with trust in the unseen, lived by faith, and faith is the ultimate assurance and the ultimate evidence that things not seen are actual realities. If it was not that, then we cannot persevere. We couldn't go another step if we didn't know what God said is true. And we live in an age where truth is what people decide it is on their own. Uh, We live in a pluralistic society where one person's truth is as equal as another person's truth. Well, that's just not true. God's word is true, and it cannot be changed by any of us. It's true whether you were ever born, whoever ever lived on this planet, it's still true. Uh, So... That becomes a very important uh, when those realities have the eye of faith fixed on the goal, on what's at the end. So we come now to the honor roll of faith. And so far, each example of what it means to have faith and to live by faith have their peculiar corner on showing us who are looking for help in understanding what faith is and what it means to live by faith, where when we looked at Abel, living by faith was worshiping God in an acceptable manner. When we looked at Enoch, living by faith is walking with God in a pleasing manner. When we looked at Noah, living by faith is obeying God's word in an unquestionable manner. We have already seen that what makes any person well-pleasing to God is faith. And without it, there is no possibility of pleasing God for anyone. 
Abraham, of course, is no different. For his example highlights some part of the meaning and essence of faith helpful for us to gain a clearer understanding on how we may live by faith so as to please God. And so for Abraham this morning, living by faith is obeying God in a patient manner. Obeying God in a patient manner. And so in Hebrews 11, we're going to look at verse 8 through 10. And so Abraham, because he plays such a significant role in God's plan of redemption, he's given more attention than the other characters in Hebrews chapter 11. Ten generations have passed from Noah to Abraham. Ten generations. In fact, in that whole time, really you don't see much going on except people rebelling against God. That's what is recorded in Scripture. So the only display that we see of the character of God, or the major display during that time, is God's, God's long-suffering with people. God bears long with people, so they come to repentance. He's still doing that today. So all the generations up until Abraham provoked the Lord and they closed their ears to God's truth. And maybe why that is why Abraham is so much highlighted. Because here comes this guy along, and there are two particulars to his faith that are brought out in Scripture. And the first one is this, that his faith was a patient trust that carefully listened to God. He carefully listened to God. And if you look at verse number 8 of Hebrews 11, it says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, The root word here that's translated obeyed in our text is actually the word akuo in the Greek. It means I hear. It means to listen. It means to hearken. We get the word acoustic from it. Acoustics has, has of course, the word is connected with hearing sounds. The room, this room, this building has good acoustics. It was built like that. Because they had no amplifications. The, very, the wall behind me is designed that way so the voice would proceed out. And of course, the organ that was back here, the sound would proceed out. Anywhere you stand in this building, people could hear you. It's designed that way. It has great acoustics. In fact, when we put the rug down, it kind of dampens it a little bit. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the word here uh, means to hear. The word for obey means to hear. Something, when it comes to to hearing the Word of God. Sometimes when it comes to hearing the Word of God, for some, it sounds, it just sounds for some just to be words when they hear the Word of God, when they hear the Scripture. No real understanding comes to them. No meaning, no personal application when they hear the Word of God or they read the Word of God. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in which Jesus is talking with those who thought they were children of Abraham, descendants of Abraham, related to Abraham, knew all about Abraham. But when Jesus 
brings them to the truth, he pinpoints a characteristic in them that shows that they were not Abraham's children at all, but actually they had another father. And take your Bibles for a minute and turn to John chapter 8, because here we... Here is what it really made them polar opposites of identifying with Abraham and what's their identifying mark. Look at John chapter 8, and verse number 39. Jesus, of course, having a conversation with some, some uh, people who think that they're uh, descendants of Abraham, children of Abraham, and it, this is what it says in verse 39. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children... Do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. In other words, Abraham didn't kill God's messenger. Abraham actually listened to God's messenger. That's what he did. So if you're going to do the works of Abraham, what? Listen. Listen to what God says. But then... Let's go on, verse 41 of John chapter 8. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me, verse 43, why do you not understand what I am saying? That word saying there is the word lalia. La, 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 la. Why can't you, in other words, why can't you stand, why can't you understand the way I speak? In other words, I speak in behalf of God. Why can't you understand the way I speak? Right? That's what he's getting at. He's using these words to identify those things. And notice what he says in verse 43. It is because you cannot hear my word. You cannot hear my logos. He says here, he changes the word. In other words, it means that they had no power or ability to hear God's word and actually believe it. The only desire and ability you have, Jesus is saying to them, is to listen to lies to the lies of your father who spins them to sound like truth, but you have no power to discern whether they are truth or no truth. And then look at verse 44, what he says. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desire of your father, for he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies, and then notice verse 45 of John 8. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Verse 46, which one of you convicts me of sin? Or excuse me, verse, for, for, verse 46. And then it says, if I speak the truth, why do, you not under, why do you not believe me? In verse 47, here's the key passage. He who is of God, what? hears the words of God. In other words, they hear the way God speaks. And it means hear utterances in which God through someone declares the mind of God. And that means the prophets, and in this case, Jesus, 
declares the mind and will of the Heavenly Father. And then notice how it ends, verse 47. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. There it is. So, what's key about Abraham? He listens to the way God speaks, and he hears him. This becomes a very unique characteristic of this particular man in fact it is the characteristic of all descendants of abraham who follow god spiritually and so this is the one characteristic that is very unique about abraham that he listens to god and when god called abraham hearkened to his command in other words abraham obeyed to go out that is he went out obediently the Gospel of John tells us in John ten three, to him the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice and calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. In Acts seven two, Stephen, before his listeners stoned him to death, said to the religious leaders, and he said this Hear me, brethren and fathers. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. In other words, he's saying to them, listen, hear me, a representative of God's word, because you didn't hear them and you didn't listen to Abraham. You better listen to me. And of course, did they listen to Stephen? No, they stoned him to death. So see, people have a hearing problem, a spiritual hearing problem. And even in this passage in Acts, we we see that the whole gospel message starts with the glory of God. That the God who causes things to happen and who is involved in the acts of men, you see, he, he is the God of history. It is God's story when we read the word of God. And remember, man started out with knowledge of the true and living God right in the beginning, right from Adam but fell from that knowledge, and that's the history of man. They constantly stop listening to God all the way up into Abraham, and then Abraham listens. He listens. In a very real sense, God sought out a man by appearing to a pagan idolater named Abram. That God moved forward and spoke to him, and he listened. So back in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 8, God called Abraham, and it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, going out to a place which he was received for inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So there are several things that we glean from Scripture that points to the relationship Abraham had with the Lord God. And in each one of those points, uh, the relationship of his physical descendants, it shows that they didn't have much relationship at all because they didn't listen to what God said. In fact, went right here in Scripture, when God said to leave, what did Abraham do? He left. In fact, back in Acts 7, it says the same thing. And said to him, leave your country and your relatives And come into the land that I will show you. So Abraham, when he lived in Mesopotamia, 
the Ur of the Chaldees, he was, some considered him to be a moon worshiper. It was Joshua who informed us about Abraham's family idolatry, where he says in Joshua 24, Joshua said to the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So the scripture is saying that, listen, all of Abraham's families were idolaters. So by that time, these ten generations after Noah's, people were just making their own gods up. They were, they were carving gods, they were making multi gods out of metal, they were doing all kinds of things. They didn't want to listen to God. And you know what? When people don't listen to the true and living God, that's exactly what happens. They find some idol to form in their mind, and they create some God in their mind, and that's who they worship, right? That's what people do today. Everybody does that. Everybody worships in some way. So Abraham seemed, though, to be dissatisfied with the idolatry of his people. He was searching. He was wandering in his heart, and he was somewhat ready when God came along uh, to go out into the unknown, God told him to go west and leave the security of your home, to leave the security of your family. And his faith at that point was tested in, with a huge amount of uncertainty. Go out, Abraham, verse number 8, but you're not, you, you, you don't know where you're going. Matter of fact, you're going to lead a bunch of people. You're going to bring all your wealth with you. But I'm not going to tell you where we're going to go. Just go. Doesn't that take a lot of faith? Where do I go, Lord? Just go. Go west. And I'll lead you along the way. Right? See, faith never tells us everything that's going to happen next. Maybe that's in some real way why we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. God didn't give us that information, and he, no one's privy to that kind of information that we know what's going to happen next. But God did give us his overall program. To know that this is the goal, this is the end, this is where it's heading. But until you get there, there's going to be rough waters. There's going to be rough waters. So he, and there's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be a sense of insecurity while we're on this earth. And yet, right here in Hebrews, it says he went out not knowing where he was going. God says, go out and be a wanderer in the world. Also, it tells us that when God said go, he went, and he was sent by God, and God moved him from the country that he went to and where the people were now living when it was being preached in the book of Acts, the very promised land that Abraham didn't see when he had his faith. And then God also promised something, and he trusted. Verse number 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed by going out to a place where he would receive an inheritance. In verse Number 8 of Hebrews chapter 11. He would receive an inheritance. So God says, listen, go out. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now, he didn't tell him that until he got to actually to the promised land. But he says, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you an inheritance. So he says, go out. Here's a promise. There's going to be an inheritance over here. Now, of course, an inheritance in the mindset of the people then meant you had to have children. You had to have a family. You had to have those kind of things. Abraham didn't have any children. So it, it, it was a huge amount of faith to just simply listen carefully to God's word 
and do exactly what he said. And that's what he did. And that's what makes him so different. As long as people remain stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, and every thing that God says they resist, well, then people are doing the same thing that they did way back when, when God spoke through prophets and they persecuted and killed them because of their message from God. I love what it says in Acts 7. You don't have to turn there. Verse 51, he says, You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears and always resisting the Holy Spirit, you are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? Meaning that God raises up people to speak through them his message. On the other side of the message, he has to be the person who listens. If they don't listen, if they resist it, then they're on their own. So if a person does that, they're on their own. When people hear a message from God and do not listen, they are doing the same thing, persecuting the visible representative of God and killing its message. And sometimes they kill the messenger too. Now, how can you be like Abraham? Just a few practical things. Well, when you are a person who truly listens, you will become familiar with God's voice as he speaks through the word. You'll recognize his voice from all other voices and follow him alone. Because there's a lot of voices vying for your attention. When you, are true, when you truly listen to God's voice, you will regularly trust him. That goes next. When you truly listen to God's voice and regularly trust him, your faith will be strengthened and your hope will increase. When you truly listen to God's word, you'll understand what he is saying and your belief in him will become more definite. See, God made a covenant with Abraham, gave a sign of that covenant, and reminded him that God keeps his promises. So when you're not like Abraham... What are you doing? You're not listening. It's like when a parent says to their kid, you're not listening. You're not listening to what I'm saying. You're playing in your mind somewhere else. You're watching your favorite DVD. You're not listening to what I'm saying. So when you stop listening, you become ignorant of what is good and what is evil. You stop acting like Jesus. When you stop listening, you lose hope in God's promises and take too much security in this present temporal world. You stop looking forward in faith. When you stop listening, you lose sight of God's glory and shrink God down to a manageable size. That's called idolatry. And you begin worshiping that idol. It's like Psalm 115 that says, and those who make them will be like them. Everyone who trusts in them, in their own idol. They become like their idol because that's what they desire. So the bottom line is, if you don't listen to God's word anymore, you won't look like Jesus. You won't act like him. Neither will you know what he wants you to do. 
You will not live by faith, and the consequence of that is you will not please God. So the cure for that is to listen. Be like Abraham and listen. Now here's where real trial of patience comes for Abraham. The proof of faith lies in perseverance. And again, in, in chapter 10, look just a little over to chapter 10 real quick. Just refresh your memory. In chapter 10, in verse 36, it says, For you have a need of endurance. For the present, really in the present, we all have this great essential need. That is, we all need to continue in endurance. And remember, endurance means perseverance. Absolutely and emphatically persevering to hold fast to one's faith in Christ. And that means under misfortunes, under trials. Why is that? Because trials force us to depend on God. Trials mature us spiritually and develop in us a proven character. And trials cause us to long for heaven. That's what trials do. And all these things are preparing us to run the Christian race, to reach the goal, to finish, and to receive our reward. So the bottom line is the key to successful endurance, and I already said this in Acts, is faith. We can't do it without faith. Now, there is a kind of faith that does run well, but it is soon hindered by whatever and doesn't obey the truth anymore, doesn't listen to God. That is not the faith to which the promise is given. That is not the faith of Abraham. The faith of God's elect continues and abides forever. The faith of God's elect continue and abides forever. What God started in you, he will complete. Now, there is a second particular of Abraham's faith that is characterized in our text. And it's found in verse number 9 and 10 of Hebrews chapter 11. And it's this, that Abraham's faith is displayed as a patient trust that first carefully listens and then secondly that carefully perseveres. So once you listen to God's word, Now you need to do God's word and continue to do God's word. And that is exactly what happens with Abraham. But notice the circumstances in which that happens. Because in verse number 9 it says, By faith he lived as an alien in a land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents. Let me stop there in the middle of the verse. In other words, that he had a patient trust that carefully persevered through difficult situations. Now, what's the difficult situation? Here it is. God says, I promise you the promised land. I promise you an inheritance. He also told them when he got to the promised land, I will make you a great nation. Now, all these promises are in Abraham's heart, and yet when he gets to the promised land, he finds something that he didn't expect there. He finds that he would have to live there in that land of promise as an alien. Some of your passages may say sojourner. He may be there as a sojourner. Now, two things come to mind when we think of that. Number one, he had no citizenship. An alien in the land 
has no citizenship. In fact, that alien means to dwell beside one in one's neighborhood, beside someone else. In other words, to dwell beside people who are citizens of that land, but you're not. And you're not going to be. In fact, when he arrived in the land of promise, he found that it was still in the hands of others. All his life long, by means of faith, he dwelled as an outsider in the land of promise. Abraham never owned the land, but was only permitted to remain there as an alien. That seems awful strange, doesn't it? Why would God do that? What was God doing to Abraham? What was he doing as far as we're concerned? Letting him know, Abraham, I'm going to send you a place, but you're not going to be a citizen of that country. Matter of fact, you'll never become a citizen. But that's not it. A second thing he says in verse number 9 is this. At the, he says that you will dwell, be dwelling in tents. You know what that means? That he will have no permanent settlement in the land. The King James uses the word sojourner to describe an alien This term helps us, though, understand the non-permanent status one experiences in a foreign land because the word sojourn, jorn, means a day, meaning to stay in a place day by day. In fact, dwelling in tents, a tent is something that has no foundation. It is not meant to be permanent. It is designed to be taken down, only to be put up on another day, somewhere else. That's what he was called to do when he went to the land of promise. He was going to pitch tents there. He was going to break the tents down when God said to move somewhere else and then put them them up somewhere else. So it was, he was a sojourner. He was just there day by day. So see, his faith learns to live in the temporary with patient boldness, patient trust in God. There's a second thing about his patient trust that carefully perseveres. Not only was it through difficult circumstances, but it was for long periods of time. Verse number 9, notice what it says, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. What is he saying there? He's saying, listen, Abraham didn't receive it. Isaac didn't receive it. Jacob didn't receive it. They were all tent dwellers. In fact, Joseph didn't receive it. Moses didn't receive it. And in fact, Moses went as far as Mount Nebo. God allowed him to see the promised land, but not enter the promised land. Only Joshua was able to go and take the people in there. Why did God do that? Abraham even says in Acts 7, 5, but he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground. And yet even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. So Abraham dwelt in the land of Palestine. He did not possess the land, but held it only as a promise from God to him and to his descendants that God blessed Abraham when he had no land, no children, no citizenship, no place to worship, only had God and his word. And he was fulfilled. 
he had a full life. They all lived a long time as foreigners and died having nothing but faith in the promise. In fact, look at your Bibles, Hebrews 11, 13. Isn't that what it says? All these died, what? In faith, without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Let me ask you something. Have you confessed that yet, if you're listening today? Have you confessed? Have you come to the place in your life as a believer with this understanding, confess to God that you are only a stranger and an exile on this earth? And that's all you'll be. Now, that becomes really important for us. Once we become Christians and followers of Christ, we quickly sense that we're non-residents in this world. We're tent dwellers. We're sojourners. I love what the Apostle Peter says in chapter 2, verse number 11. He hints at it, and he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So our stay on earth is a short time. We're living in a foreign land, which we are not citizens. We don't have citizen status. We don't have citizen rights. We don't have any of those things. Again, I, I love what the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.17, where it says, If you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay on earth. See, have we considered that we only have tents and they're temporary? We have no permanent residence here on earth. We are not citizens of this earth. And if you really want to be, it may show where your desires really lie. If you really want to be citizens here and stay here because you like it so much, then maybe you're not a believer at all. See, we are not citizens of earth. And this is what Abraham understood. He understood that he was a citizen of heaven. He understood he was a citizen of the city of God. And we don't need to think that we are going to receive all God promised here on this earth. That's not even a biblical truth. We are to look beyond what we cannot see. We are to look beyond the uncertainties, the insecurities, beyond the hazards of life to the city in which God built. That's where our hope is. That's where the promises of God are fulfilled. So see, as citizens, we are under the government of heaven with Christ, our King, who reigns in our hearts As citizens, our names are written in heaven, giving giving us full assurance of access to the city of God. As citizens, we have a common right of all the property of heaven because we are joint heirs with Christ, and nothing in heaven, uh, everything in heaven belongs to us, in other words. 
As citizens, we enjoy all the delights of heaven, of God's presence. In the, in the, in the very epistle of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 20, it concisely says, for our citizenship is what? In heaven. And then it says this, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, do we do that? Do we realize that we are pilgrims and sojourners on this earth and at the same time have this longing for being with Christ? It's in our heart. It's happening to you. It happens when you become a believer. In fact, if it does, and it is happening to you, you have much in common with Abraham. In this sense, we should also share the longing that he had for his permanent dwelling place. So his tent life is now, in the word of God, that non-permanent characteristic of tent life is contrasted with the stable, settled existence in a city. But not any city. The city of God. And this is what it says in verse number 10 of Hebrews 11, that let me just mention to you that his patient trust that carefully persevered and first listened created in him an inward longing for home. This is what gets Abraham through. This is what get, gets Isaac through and Jacob through and Joseph through and Moses through and even the people in the promised land through when they realized that there was much more than the land that God was talking about For look what it says in verse number 10. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So Abraham looked far beyond earthly things and displayed a longing for the heavenly city. The first word he uses here, technites, architect, Architect is the word we get technician from. In other words, this word architect or technician means God's plan. That is, God is the designer of the higher and eternal course of all things, especially the city. And then the second word in our passage in verse number 10 is the word that means, that has to do with the execution of the plan, that God is the actual framer, the builder of the higher and eternal city. And believe me, brethren, it is faith alone that can make the prospect of an eternal city built by God real so we fix our eyes on, on, upon it just like Abraham did. This means that the city of God, the city God builds, has a foundation Those who dwell in it have permanent dwelling places. They are permanent citizens. They find themselves to be truly safe and secure and truly fulfilled in the city of God. And this is one thing I believe that has to be noticed by us, that the Holy Spirit of God is actually doing in us. What what is it? that we desire something better than this world, that we desire something beyond this world. If, I, if you haven't learned that yet, I pray that you would learn it. I pray that you 
you say, learn what? Learn that this world and what it offers can never really satisfy you. It has, there's nothing in this world that can truly satisfy you in a long-lasting way. That's why God had Abraham dwell in tents. That's why God had Abraham stay in the land of promise as an alien, because he had to learn that. If he didn't learn that, then he would find all his security in the promised land. All his security in the things that were around him. It, had a, it has to go beyond that. Faith must go beyond that. It must go to the one who is the very architect and builder of the city. The one who dwells in the city. Oh yes, when you were dead in sin, a dead world may have satisfied your dead heart with the husks and, and with its empty vanities, but no longer you have received, by God's grace, nobler desires. In fact, when you become a Christian, your desires become way stronger than they were before. Sharper. More passionate. That you want a better country. You want more than what this world can ever offer you, or anyone could offer you. And look down at verse number 16 of Hebrews 11. Look what it says, But as it is, They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. And then notice what it says in in that passage in verse number 16. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. In fact, the word desire in that passage, as I looked it up, had an incredible rich meaning to it. It actually means to stretch oneself out in order to touch what you desire that's a perfect example of the christian race it's it's a perfect example of of a runner which he's been describing and it's going to bring it out a little bit more in chapter 12 that isn't that what a runner does he starts leaning forward for the goal he starts reaching out because he sees it He's not there yet. He has to do everything he can to reach it, but that's what it is. There's the desire. The desire is that I desire a better country, a heavenly one, and I'm reaching out for it the rest of my Christian walk. So God gives us desires that draw us toward heaven. Desires that keep us stretching out for heaven, for His presence. And at the same time, He draws us away from the world and its glitter. Because we begin to see that the world has nothing to really offer us. So I'm talking about those who have truly come to Christ and have known something of better things and brighter realities. Have you not discovered yet that this world, in this world, that we have no home? That we have no home for our spirits? Our home is yet beyond. We are looking for our home among the unseen things. We are in reality strangers and sojourners as those believers who have gone before us. We are dwellers in the wilderness just passing through into our reach of our perpetual inheritance in the city of God. I hope hope that these scriptures begin to stir your heart a little bit to make you homesick. Beyond this earth. 
as a pilgrim, you will never feel quite at home here on earth. As a Christian, you will never feel quite comfortable here on earth. You will groan in your soul for your heavenly dwelling. As you grow more and more like Christ, your desire will be to be with him. Your desire will be to be in the city of God. See, for the Christian, our final home is not this world. Our citizenship is in heaven, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of God. And the Bible is telling us that such a place is only given to those who are true believers in Jesus Christ, those who have believed in his sacrificial death on their behalf and his glorious resurrection, and he has given them life. In fact, quickly take your Bibles and look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 10, which gives us a glimpse. It opens the curtains a little bit for us concerning this city. I'll not go into all the details of the text, but Revelation gives us a peek. And it says several things to us about this city. Number one, the city of God is secure because the source of the city is God himself. In verse 10 of Revelation 21 And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. The city, of course, coming down out of heaven from God, it is not at all tainted with the old world or anything of its remnants. It is new. That's why Hebrew says, listen, I desire a better country. That is a heavenly country. And of course, that country... Builder and architect is God himself. And God is preparing a city for us, for us. God's making the city for us. And secondly, the city of God is secure because the city permeates with God's presence. Look at verse 11 of Revelation 21. Having the glory of God. Her presence, her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal clear jasper. In other words, brethren... Could you imagine a place where God permeates everything and everyone? The city has been prepared by the Father which comes to the new earth, filled with people in resurrected bodies, made ready and able to dwell in the the glory of God for all eternity. And then verse 12 and 13 of Revelation 21, the city of God is secure because the city walls allow only God's own to enter. Now, it says this, it had a great and high wall with 12 gates and at the 12 gates, 12 angels. See, the gates promise protection and free access. Its walls stand as a visible reminder that all people do not have access to God. The walls are described here as great and high, and it is obvious that high walls will not be needed to defend it because the city has no enemies. The walls will be symbolic of God's protection and security and the exclusion of all that is evil. In fact, if you look to Revelation 21, verse 8, it says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving 
and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In, in other words, they don't have access to the eternal city. Christians are the only ones who have a win-win situation. Christians, just think of it for a moment, that we are have the best of both worlds. We can have fellowship with God here and fellowship with God there. See, that's the city of God. So, do you call it home? Are you anticipating your heavenly dwelling? As a pilgrim, do you ever sense that there is more to life than meets the eye? Do you ever experience a sense of inner groaning in your soul? A groaning focused on your real home for your heavenly dwelling. And as one person said, in heaven my affections are there. In heaven my Father is there. In heaven my Savior is there. In heaven my inheritance is there. In heaven my name is there. In heaven my citizenship is there. In heaven my heart is there. In heaven my life is there. In heaven my treasure is there. In heaven my brethren are there. In heaven my God is there. Therefore, according to God's word to his children, our permanent dwelling place is not the earth. It was never meant to be. So if you feel a little bit uncomfortable here, a little bit like you, you don't fit, a lot like you don't fit, good. That's exactly what's supposed to happen as a Christian. Why? Because we're made for heaven. We're going to leave our tents here and all of the stuff that goes with having a tent, and we're going to go to our permanent dwelling place. And we're going to spend that with God forever. So consequently, I and you must go I and you must prepare to go. And, of course, the bottom line is that we must want to go. That's the point. That's what made Abraham persevere to the goal. He desired it. He reached out for it. He wanted it. Because he knew that's exactly what he was created for. Him as a creature, creator, creature created by the Creator was to live with his Creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, for all eternity. So, all of this is a test of faith. All our trials is a test of faith. All the uncertainties we go through is a test of faith. It's to show you where you're at with God. What do you really desire? What do you really long for? What are you really holding on to? So here is the test of your faith that Christians every day have an opportunity to go back to the world. You have an opportunity every day. In fact, you are tempted every single day to sinful pleasures and idolatrous practices. And you would go there quickly as you came to Christ if it was not for God keeping your feet. If it wasn't for God holding to you, if it wasn't for God keeping his promise that what he began in you, he will finish. See, we would surely return to the passing pleasures and sinfulness of sin 
in a minute. But these opportunities to return and leave the faith only prove to you and I whether we are a follower and soldier of Jesus Christ. By these, you will know whether you are Christ or you're not Christ. When you have an opportunity to return to your sin, to return to your old life, to lay down the baton and get out of the race, if you do not return, you shall prove to yourself and to everyone who looks on your life who you belong to. You will show and you will prove what you desire. You will show your faith on what you understand. You will tell me who you're listening to. That's what you'll tell yourself and everyone else. And believe me, that's what's going to increase your faith. Here's a short antidote. Two men are going along the road. There's a dog following behind them. I don't know which one of them the dog belongs. But I shall be able to tell directly. They are coming to a crossroad. One goes to the right, the other goes to the left. Now, which man does the dog follow? The the one the dog follows is his what? Master. It, It is his owner. So when Christ and the world are mixed together, and you cannot tell which you are following. But when there is a separation, when there is trouble, and Christ goes one way, and your interest and your pleasure seem to go the other way, if you can, part with the world and its enticements and its pleasures and its promises and keep with Christ then you are one of his, and we know where your desires are. See, that's the bottom line. The opportunities to go back, try our faith to see whether we are indeed the Lord's or not. And mark this down, faith is never, really, faith that is, faith that is never tried is never true faith. If you're a Christian, and you have never been tried by God in your faith? Your faith will be tried, and it will be tried more than once. Your loyalties will be tried. Your desires will be tried by God. And you need to know that as much as I need to know that, and the church needs to know that, that you definitely are following Christ. So see, we must live by faith. You must have this patient faith that endures through tribulation for a long time, longing for our eternal city. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to persevere. You know what? And Abraham looked out, and know what he saw? In a distance, he saw the city of God, and he kept going, right? And it's the same for us. We look out and we see the city of God. In fact, he didn't have the book of Revelation chapter 21 to read. In fact, he didn't have anything to read very much. He just had to listen to the voice of God. We have a whole lot of evidence for us to continue to press on than Abraham did. 
So I pray for you this morning that Abraham, for him, living by faith is obeying God in a patient manner, a patient trust that carefully listens, a patient trust that carefully perseveres, and he does that through difficult situations, through feeling that he doesn't belong where he's at, he feels like an alien, yet he does it for long periods of time, and all the way along he has this inward growing desire to leave it all go and go to be with the Lord. See, that's what it means to be a Christian. I pray that's happening in you. I pray that's your desire. Because that is what it means to live by faith. How are you, how are you looking? How are you looking? Are you growing up to the standard of faith? Do you Have you experienced some of these things I'm talking about this morning? And if you have, thank the Lord. Because that, those very things are going to just grow you to be stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in your faith. You are the ones who are going to take the baton and pass it to the next generation, to the next person sitting next to you, to the next person in your family. You must have faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you this morning for these very things that were before us in Scripture. Lord, I praise you that we are too looking for a city which has foundations. No longer will we need tents. No longer will we feel as aliens and sojourners. But we'll be in a permanent place And we'll be in a place where it can't be destroyed, it can't be broken down, it can't be broken into. Because it's built by you, Father. You are the architect. You are the technician that planned it. You are the one who executes the plan. You are the one, Lord, who's making that city for us. You are the one preparing a place for us. And where you go, you'll come and take us with you. Thank you for those promises. We need them, Lord. Please increase our faith. And if, Lord, our faith has been shaky and has been cold, please revive us today. Make us, in our heart, desirous to what you have given us and promised us. And I pray, Lord, we would live our life with great gusto. For we know, Lord, you promise us a full life here and a life of promise and fulfillment in the next. We give you glory and praise, Lord, for all that you have done and accomplished in our life. And I only ask you this one thing, Lord, that you would build us in our faith. That whether trials come, that we would depend on you. Whether those trials come, that we would mature spiritually. And you would develop our character. And that when trials come, you would make us long for heaven. And we'll praise you, Lord, and thank you for what you'll do. In Christ I pray. Amen.